This is Benevolent, your host. I am so glad you could join me. Seems like a while since I've been here on the, on the lookout post sharing truth with you guys. But I'm here. You know, the, uh, the enemy always tries to hinder God's people. He always tries to stop the message. He always tries to steal the seed. But, you know, the Lord got me covered. I'm covered by the blood of Yeshua. So we're here. Let's do this. So tonight's titled episode is When God Turns Evil to Good. In this episode, I'm going to try to tackle how people do evil to other people or evil occurrences or situations with the attempt to harm and destroy. This sounds so familiar. You see, you see when, when God speaks, he speaks directly to us as if, he's ha- as if he's having a conversation with us, as if I'm speaking to you now. There's nothing puzzling about God's word. All you have to do is allow your, your heart to be receptive and allow your mind to be focused on the Lord at hand. Once you do these things and you believe in what you're reading, the Holy Spirit can work upon you once you believe that the Lord died, was in the grave, and he rose on the third day. You believe that and not only believe that, but you believe it with all your heart and you're, re- you're willing to stand on what was done on the cross. Meaning you're, you're, you're willing to show, not just speak. You know, you're willing to uh, uh, show works as well as faith. Because we know that Paul said that faith without works is dead. And that's the truth. You know, in some ways, God, he, he's very justified. He, he, everything that he do is, is with justice. You can actually call this like the boomerang effect. When you... When you when you talk about society terms, you could call this the boomerang effect or also what society loves to call karma. You know, like, oh, yeah, you see how karma, karma. But in actuality, what it is, is when the wicked center of evil is in elation, for they anticipate your demise. But God comes in like the real Revis on a pick six and he brings it home to his people for the win. It's the interception of evil and evil spirits. Remember when we were growing up and kids would do some of the meanest things, right? Kids were so mean back then. They'd spill your books, you know, they pull the chair out of you when you're about to sit down, you know, they 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 take pick off your glasses, you know the bullies. You all everyone had bullies, right? But back then everything was live and direct. There wasn't no cyberbullying back then. <laughs> In those days it wasn't hard to detect the real from the fake, the brave from the cowards. So we would get tested daily in school. Everyone would get tested. I don't care who you are. You would get get tested daily in school, after school. It didn't matter. When you go to the corner store, you you get tested. Or in recess, gym, or in the yard. But if you remember deeply, chances are the ones who were the ones being bullied and harassed, whether they stood up or not, they usually, most likely, they were guaranteed to see the, the offenders removed from school or get, get the bricks beat out of them or her, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it showed that the evil would not go unvisited. And then in turn, it allowed you to move forward. Once they got removed or got the, the bricks beat out of them, the bricks beat off them, out of them and off them. Once that happened, whether you got your licks in or not, Sometimes you see a bully get yoked up by a victim. You know, sometimes you see the, the kid with the little glasses. He, he, he says, enough is enough. And, and the big bully comes in one day and he's like, I'm not having it. Today's not the day. And when, the, when the, the bully comes, he lights this dude up. And that's it. You know what I mean? Now he's free. God uses evil for good. He takes evil and turns it into good. So this, this, this bully comes in every day bullying this dude. 
terrifying him. The dude's crying every day. You know, his mom is, is, is calling the school. He's embarrassing the dude. But one day he gets up the courage. He says, enough is enough. And he ends up whooping this dude's behind in front of everybody. I know we all seen that before. Either we seen it, we heard about it, you know, social media. It happens. And it happens for a reason and a purpose. It's to show that God doesn't let evil go unvisited. He will visit the evil that is being done. It's just not in the time that you want it to be done. You want, we want justice now. We want to see justice right now. But our time and God's time is eons away. So, you know, that's why, you know, when you pray, it's almost like set it and forget it. You put it in and you leave it and you have faith that it's done. You call it done. You call it done the moment it leaves your lips. Once it touches the airwaves, it's done. And if you believe that, then you are a warrior and your prayers shall be answered. But you also have to walk accordingly. You know, most times when someone's being afflicted like that, being bullied by a person or persons or corporation or organizations, it causes a multitude of hurt and pain. Like when a coworker backstabs you, throws you under the bus, they're trying their best to get you fired by presenting falsehood to your boss or your supervisor, leaving incriminating evidence to get you jammed up or taking pictures of you or in your work, maybe tampering with it, and then run to HR with the photos. Evil, right? You're staying, no one would do that. Hmm. You must not know how this world works. You must not know the people that are out here, the snakes that sliver. You don't know about that, huh? Because they know people have rent to pay, they have kids, they have mortgage, bills, all that. But because of the hate, the hatred and the jealousy and the evil in their hearts, they strive to see you fall. But then, over time, that same person either gets demoted, transferred, or fired altogether. And your boss ends up giving you a promotion. And now, you look at that person in a different light. It's almost like you feel pity for them. You feel sorry for them. Because you understand that they're condemned. And they're frail and weak, mentally and spiritually. They're confined to the clutches of Satan. That's why the Lord says in Proverbs 25, verse 22. We'll start at verse 21. And if, thy, and if your enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For if you do these things, for you will heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward you. So by doing these things to your enemy, you, what you're basically doing is you're killing them slowly. You're, you're just, all you're doing is just, they're just breaking down, they're melting. You're, you're heaping a, a coals of fire over their head, and the Lord shall reward you for doing so. That's that saying, kill them with kindness. There are multiple instances in the scriptures where this occurs. Uh, one specific one I want to speak about is in the book of Esther. A Hebrew woman named Esther, she was said to be the most beautifulest woman out of all the young virgins. You know what's funny? As I'm doing this, you know what just comes to my mind? Just out of nowhere. It just is off topic. But those who remember the, the show Sanford and Son, remember Sanford and Son? Remember Esther? Esther, um... Uh, Fred's, Fred's, uh, uh, I think it was his, his sister-in-law. Because remember, um, Helen, I'm, I'm coming to join you, honey. This is the big one. When he would fall out, he would act like he's having a heart attack. That was his sis, her sister, right? And remember what he always used to call? <laughs> he would always call her gorilla face and all this. But remember, her name was Esther. And Esther at that time was the most ugliest woman on television. So it's funny how Hollywood contrasts Esther, the most beautifulest woman, the most beautifulest Hebrew woman of the land, contrasts with uh, Esther, the most ugliest woman in L.A. and on TV. <laughs> That's something, huh? Hollywood can't lift a pen to a pad without the Bible, without God's word. As I say time and time again, every movie and every director and every producer is influenced by the Bible. Their ideas have something to do with the Bible, whether they use it 
in a, a, a positive or a negative way of blaspheming, but they always uh, refer back to the true word of God. So the beautiful damsel named Esther at the time was under the captivity of Babylon. Uh, the ruler Nebuchadnezzar ruled the land at that time. So being a young woman whose mom and her dad had passed, her uncle Mordecai became her father. The king of the land at that time was having issues of disobedience from the queen. So he sought diligently to have her removed from the kingdom. But it's funny though, being lenient, because most kings would have had her beheaded, but he had her just removed from the kingdom. So the king appointed his officers to comb the land for the fairest maidens unto his, unto his palace reserved for the young women, for the young virgins. Since Esther's beauty was striking and she stood out more than the rest, but not just her beauty, but her demeanor, her speech, her elegance, they were unmatched. At this time, most likely were being interviewed as if it was like a, a beauty pageant. The keeper of the women was floored by Esther and immediately she was taken to the king and she obtained favor by all who glanced upon her. So meanwhile, Mordecai, her uncle, he was a simple man. He was a humble and a poor man. He would roam daily throughout the courts of the women's palace just to, to know how Esther fared and to find out what would become of her. So always being in the gates, he knew the business of the men in the streets and he overheard a plot to assassinate the king. He relayed the news to Esther, who in turn informed the king. And the men who conspired the plot were hung on a tree. And the honor and the recognition went to Mordecai for making the knowledge known to the king. The king promoted Haman. Haman was a servant of the king, an evil and a wicked man who wanted nothing but power. He was given uh, a seat above the princes in all the land. And all in the gates, everyone bowed unto Haman and reverenced him. But not Mordecai. Mm -mm. Mordecai wouldn't as much as curl his toe for Haman. So guess what? Haman sought to have him killed. Word got out that, that, and also being a Jew, a Hebrew, Haman despised them in all the land. And at that time, and also now, the Hebrews and the Jews are most hated people amongst the African-Americans. But there is some really deep, deep, deep history that uh, relates to two. And I will cover that in one of the next episodes. But having the power Haman had sought to not only destroy Mordecai, but all of his people from the face of the earth, as Satan does. He told the king that these people that roam the land, they have diverse beliefs, and they will not keep the king's law. Haman is a deceiver, a worker of Satan. He knows how to stir things up. So he stirred things up in, in the mind of the king. He got the, the king's head going. He told him, look, yeah, these, these Jews, these Hebrews, they're not going to bow to you. They're not going to bow to your laws. Get them, have them removed from the face of the earth. So the king being a king, he signed a decree. So Haman's deception moved the king's hand to sign the decree that all Hebrews shall be destroyed at the appointed time. Now, when word got back to Mordecai, he was vexed and he was absolutely livid. Furious because he couldn't stand Haman because he, he knew how disgusting and evil Haman was. But yet Mordecai had favor for his honor towards the king. But Haman was just a hater. That's all it was. He was just a hater and an evil, evil wicked, envious person. He envied Mordecai. He envied the Jews. And he, so that's why he sought to have him killed. So he had his men prepare a gallow for Mordecai in which to hang him. But when Esther heard the news, she fasted before the Lord and she entered into the king's chambers unannounced. We all know that it is forbidden for anyone to enter into the king, king's chambers, whether it's the queen or whoever it is. They must, they must make themselves known. They must have a, a, a um, they must be invited. So Esther put her life on the line to go before the king. The Lord being with Esther moved the king's hands and allowed him to grant her entrance. Well, so when she revealed her identity 
as a Hebrew woman. And she told the king of Haman's plans. So not only did Haman give honor unto Mordecai in the gates for the deed made unto the king when, when uh, Mordecai made the, the plot known, the king uh, had Mordecai had him decked out in, in, in array. He arrayed him in kingly clothing. He gave him a ring, and, and Mordecai, he was just uh, riding through the streets, riding through the gates, and everybody hailed him. All the Hebrew people hailed him. But Haman was furious. So not only did the king make Haman, make Haman honor Mordecai, but in the gates in front of everyone. So this made him even more furious. So when the king found out of Haman's deception, you know that same gallow that Haman had prepared for Mordecai? Haman ended up hanging on that same gallow that he made with his bare hands. He was hung on, on the same thing that he prepared for Mordecai, for, for his evil deeds. God turned his evil ways into good. So not only was Haman destroyed for his deeds, but it allowed the Hebrews to, to be, uh, so they survived. It was like salvation for the Hebrews. So in a way, this is also a story of uh, evil being turned into good. And it was also a story of salvation because Esther comes in the story as the woman of salvation. She was the Hebrew woman that went before the king and found favor with the king to to the to turn away the decree of, of the extermination of her people. This is just a, a so usually in the, in the Old Testament, when you go back to the Old Testament stories, I love the Old Testament because what it is, it's an example. It basically shows you, it's a story that lays out situations that we go through today. So it helps us in knowing how to handle these situations and what to look for. So this is a situation where Evil doesn't prevail because God comes in and knocks it right out the park and uses evil for good. The Lord also turned evil to good when promoting Trump. Yeah, I said it. When promoting Trump to office, a wicked man, a powerful, wealthy, arrogant, proud, obnoxious, greedy, narcissistic man to steer this literally God-forsaken nation towards his light. And as I said regarding the two parties, that they were both woven of the same cloth. But the left tried everything in their powers, every wicked stunt to steal the election. But Trump's victory was orchestrated by the almighty hand of God. So the elites was like, hold up, this, this is not part of the plan. They like the mafia when they have a fight fix. And, and, and instead of the dude throwing the fight, he ends up whooping the dudes behind. They're like, hold on, hold on. What, what? No, 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 no. That, that's what they said when, uh, when Trump got elected because it wasn't part of their plan. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't, even the elites couldn't stop it. The Lord had their, his hand on the election. So you want to know how is this evil being turned to good? First off, by electing Trump, there was a spiritual wall put up. That was the first thing that he was referring to. Remember the wall? He said he wanted to put up a wall. But what we failed to realize is that since this was a spiritual move, that wall he was referring to, it was a spiritual wall. The spiritual wall he was referring to was a wall to shield wickedness and corruption and pedophilia and all of the, the uh, leftist agendas it was to help us push back against the liberals, to give us some breathing room, and to speak more freely on key government issues. Because as we see now, we are being silenced at a rapid rate. And this is the reason why that I'm making sure that I'm going all for the gusto uh, on, my, on my talks because it's just a matter of time before I get silenced. But we as a whole, we didn't see this. All we seen was the green screen machine. You know, the green screen machine is that they place uh, a person in front of the camera and then they throw the green screen. You could throw anything you want behind that screen. That's what we've been watching. 
the green screen machine is what I like to call it, pushing the narrative that, oh, Trump was a racist. Trump is a sexist. They, they threw all those women out of the woodworks. He's been doing these things for years, but all of a sudden, just to, to bash this man, to embarrass this man, to ridicule this man, they start pulling all these bones out of his closet, you know? That's that dirty politics. And they started coming up with all types of bogus allegations that were all thrown at this man. Most Bible scholars believe that Trump was the modern-day Cyrus, the Persian emperor who was allowed, who allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to their native land. The idea behind the comparison is that a non-believing leader can be used by God to enact policies that help advance the interest of believers, in this case, Christians and Jews. Prime Minister Netanyahu actually did the same thing recently, and in honoring Trump for declaring Jerusalem Israel's capital, Netanyahu likened him to Harry Truman, Lord Balfour, and Cyrus the Great. What do you make of all of this? You know, those of us lucky enough to visit Jerusalem know that we don't count in decades, we don't count in centuries, we count in millennia. You're swimming in history. And so when you see someone do something good for the Jewish people, you put them in historical context. And Harry Truman, after he recognized the state of Israel within 11 minutes of its founding in 1948, was thanked. And he said, I am Cyrus, because he was going back to the Persian king. And so it's not surprising that we would look at Donald Trump, say he did something good for the Jewish people, he did something good for the American people, he did something good for the world, and say, you're part of that historical chain. We wasn't looking for deception throughout his whole term. And remember, remember the COVID thing? He made a mockery out of this scamdemic by arrogantly pounding his chest on the, on the front lawn, remember? Saying, we got this, we got this, we could beat this. Subliminally saying, we got this, we got this. Subliminally saying to the world that this is the real outcome. That four days at home, resting, and you're good. Take some Alka-Seltzer cold tabs, and you'll be all right. This man was on the porch, you know, mocking Corona. Like Corona Bologna. If an old man like him in his 70s, and mind you, the elderly is supposed to be the most vulnerable, right? This man was the first president to be impeached twice. Twice, not once, twice. And beat both of them. What's the odds of that? We've never seen anything like this in history. What is the odds of this happening? It's for a purpose and a reason. What Satan meant for evil, God turns to good. They hated this man. They hated him because he was truthful. He was bitterly honest with you. He would tell you about yourself in your face with no apology. You know, truth is like Chinese torture to a liar. You hear that? Truth is like Chinese torture to a liar. So they were very uncomfortable with Mr. Trump around. So they got their wish and millions of others got their wish as well. I say maybe 80 to 90 of the nation voted for Creepy Joe. Maybe a bit less, though, but not by much. You know, an analogy to show God turning evil to good is not the most popular reference, but it is reality and it's the truth. Is that how God turns evil to good when, he, when God brings death upon one? and brings life upon the other simultaneously. Death in life is a lesson. Life is given for a purpose and a reason. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 13 reads, let us hear the whole conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He says, let us hear the, the conclusion of the whole matter. The conclusion of the whole matter means the, the, end, the ending, the outcome of the whole situation is to fear God, to respect God, to honor God, to obey God, and to keep his commandments. To keep his commandments is to love him and to, to uh, show a reverence unto him through the Holy Spirit, because we can't keep his commandments without the Holy Spirit. 
And this is the whole duty of man. So your duty in life is not to uh, have the finest cars and the finest houses and to own the finest things, to have acres of land and to strut about with your gains. No, it's not about that. Life is about fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. That's what it's about. I know that's boring, so boring, and it's so uh, um, squarish. People say, ah, he's a square. Hey, what's wrong with him? It ain't what's wrong with me. It's what's wrong with people who don't take the time to hear these things, to, to, to listen to these things. This is why a lot of evil comes upon man because they don't, they don't fear God. In turn, they, they go to Satan and they don't keep his commandments either because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't keep his commandments. So can you imagine how many people don't keep his commandments? And he's telling you, for this is the whole duty of man. Your duty means your job. This is the job of man. This is what we were created for. Was to do the will of God. But you can't tell people that in 2021. They laugh at you. They laugh you right off the, uh, off the, off the, the premises. You get escorted, man. Security. Then we go to uh, Psalms 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your favor, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of your own hands. The Lord says he will, perf he will perfect everything that concerns you. He, 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 will, he will bring to pass your goals and your dreams as long as they are according to his will. He will bring them to pass, he says. He says, your mercy, O oh Lord, it endures forever. That means that he is with you for eternity. Once you give your life unto the Lord, he's with you for eternity. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Forsake not the works of your own hands. He said never, ever put down your, your, your hands to, to work that you have that has been put before you. God may have put uh, some some a foundation before you that he wants you to build upon. And he said, continue with it. Work with your hands. Build your foundation on your foundation, not the next person. Don't worry about the next person's foundation. You work upon yours with your own hands and God will bless it as long as it's according to his will. Psalms 57 verse 2. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that will swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among the lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are as spears and arrows, and their tongues are as sharp, and their tongues as sharp swords, as a sharp sword. Mm, 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 mm. I look at this and, man, I, 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 I can see so many, uh, I can see so many references with, with, with the everyday people that, you know, the everyday occurrences that you go through every day. This is, this is just basically letting you know that the evil that is going on, the evil that people plot for you, God will be there for you. In verse 2, he says, um, I will cry unto God most high that performs all good things, that performs all things for me. The Lord performs all things for me. Any, anything that, like I said, put your hands to, he will make it come to pass. In verse 3, he says, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that will swallow me up. That's, that's a backstabber. That's your best friend. That could be anyone with evil intentions to destroy you. And nowadays, we don't know who that could be. That could be the person sitting right next to you. You never know. That's how evil this world is now. But he says, God shall send forth his mercy and truth. 
But this one I was referring to when I said it's everyday occurrence with these people. My soul is among lions. Lions, they tear and they, and, and they ravage their prey. And this is what people do to you in the spirit. They ravage because they, they want to see your demise. And they lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are as spears and arrows. Teeth are spears and arrows because they, they, they're talking so much vile poison against you. And, and the plots and, the, and, the, and the, the conspiring of evil uh, uh, plans and agendas and all the wickedness that, that they have planned for you. These are the lions that are in array waiting to, to pounce. He said that their teeth are like, are, are, are like spears and arrows and their tongue as a sharp sword slicing away and, and mangling and hacking away at you with their tongue. Just slicing you to pieces, leaving you a bloody mess. This is what they, they anticipate. This is what they expect. But as I said, the Lord comes in as an eagle and takes it right away. Right as, it, right as the arrow comes, the eagle takes the, comes through the air and takes the arrow right away as it's about to hit you. So in, in verse 5, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Let it be above all the earth because it already is. So he's glorifying him. He's blessing him and thanking him for all the good that he does. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Yeshua unto good works which God has, which God has been ordained that we should walk in them. So he's saying that we are his workmanship. We are, are the, the images of his creation in Yeshua unto good works. So he, was, he created us to do good works, which God has preordained that we should walk in them. So he has ordained these, uh, he has ordained this walk for us. And the journey that we take as we strive to do God's will and we do the duties of the Lord, um, he says that, that these good works was ordained that we should already walk in them. You know, before we were even created, God ordained this for us. So before we were even born, before anything, God had already put this in us. So this, this, we had this in us before we were even born. So you, you can kind of sometimes look back when you were young and if, if you were kind of strange and different from other people, you had this in you. You were ordained to know God and to walk with God. You were, you were different. You were what they call peculiar, an oddball, and a weirdo, a square. Uh, um, sometimes people be like, oh, he, he's different. He, um, he's unique. Any of these um, references most likely means that you were ordained to walk in the ways of the Lord when you when you come of age. And 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 you know people that are in in denial or people who are on the fence, they have this burning inside of them and they have them this tugging at their heart, but they their pride won't allow it to come out. But this podcast, I hope, is convicting you and it's making you uncomfortable and it makes you say, you know what? He's right. It's time to really get serious and go back and know who the Lord is or go back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and go back to him. Because I'm sure everyone knows you know, of the Lord. They, everyone knows of him. No one knows him. There's not too many people who know him. But people know of him. 
And this is the time to return home. This is the time to return to him. Because as we see, these days are not getting any better. Here's a verse that uh, most people will not really be uh, very happy with or pleased with. But as we see, God could really care less. <laughs> he doesn't sugarcoat anything, and he's not going to um, uh, sidestep anything to, for your feelings. Uh, it's not about your feelings. It's about your soul. So he could care less about your feelings. He's trying to redeem you. He's trying to allow you to have uh, 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 um, eternal life after death. So... The feelings right now mean nothing. So in um, Proverbs 19, verse 21, he says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So God's saying that there are many devices in our heart. There are many different attributes. There are many different feelings there are many different plans that we may have and desires and goals that we have in our heart. We may say, you know what, I want to do this and I'm going to do that. We put money and we invest and we do all these things because we, we have our minds set on these plans. But God says that nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that is what shall stand. So regardless of the plans that you put forth and everything that you go crazy for and your investments and all that, God says that that's not what I have for you. The counsel of the Lord, this is what I have for you. This is what I have planned for you. And if you walk with me accordingly, you will receive this and it will be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. So, you know, your plans is not going to overrule God's counsel. God's counsel says, this is what's for you. And if you disobey, then you will, uh, you will reap the, the disappointments and failures and the pains and the hurts and, and, and all the um, confusion. Because anytime you go against God's word, it, confusion starts. Confusion starts to kick in and, and, and things starts to crumble because you go against what God has laid out for you. You've taken the wrong path, so to speak. And ultimately, this right here is the verse of all verses when it comes down to the will of God and the purpose of man. Um, it's in Revelations 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's almost self-explanatory. God says that everything that was created, everything, 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 everything that the human eye can see was created by God. And if it was created by man, it still was created by God because God needed, I mean, man needed God's, um, he he needed God's work. He needed he needed wood to build, right? You need wood. You need dirt. You need water. What else do you need to build? For the foundation, you need concrete, right? You need dirt and water. You need wood, you know. Uh, nails. That's that's metals. You need metals to to. I mean, listen. This <laughs> every foundation. You need God, all right? There's no foundation without him. So he's saying that everything was created for the pleasure of God. That's it. That's it. Not for you, not for me, for his pleasure. So he's basically like a, a big kid who's sitting down playing with a, a, a globe toy. You know those globe toys? And, you, you know, you shake it up and you see all the different pieces and different things and you're just looking at it, having a good time. That's what God's basically doing. He just wants to see us enjoying life and he just wants to see us taking part in all his, his works. But we see what man has done to his works. So how do you think that he feels right now? How do you think... Uh, 
How do you think that's going to fare with us, especially in this wicked nation? How do you think that's going to go down with the Lord? I bring up these scriptures to say that death in life is in the hands of God and we have no say. Um, in Matthew 16, 25, it says, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mm, 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 mm. Now let's break this down. Let's break this down. 25. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. So this is a coward. This is a person who is all about himself. You know, he, 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 he wishes to, to save his own skin, you know. This, this is a person that, uh, that, that sees people burning in the home and he has the strength and he has the, the will to, to at least have the effort to try but he, no, he, he runs. He runs and he gets in his car and he drives off because he wants nothing to do with it because he wants to save his own life while other people perish. God says that when you try to save your own life, you lose it because you're a coward and you don't deserve it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now, when uh, a coward tries to do all he can to save his own skin. It reminds me of uh, Nino Brown in uh, New Jack City. Remember when they, uh, they were shooting at him and he grabbed a little girl to shield him just so he can escape? That's a freaking coward. That's a scumbag. That's a disgusting, vile person. And we've seen his outcome because at the end of the movie, he gets popped by the most unexpected person was the little old man of the neighborhood who got tired of seeing Nino Brown flood the community with, with poison. So he popped Nino. And you see what he did? He turned evil to good. God turned evil to good. Even though this is a movie, I'm just using this as an example. This happens every day, I'm sure. But I'm using this as an example that the Lord always takes evil and turns it around and twists it to good, regardless, to show that evil will not prevail. It will never, ever prevail. It may prevail for a season, but it should not prevail overall. No, no. For a season. For a season, but not overall. Never, never. God won't allow it. But then he says, he who risk his life for the sake of the Lord or doing good, because usually, not usually, but when you do good, you're doing good unto the Lord. So whenever you do a good deed unto someone, you're doing a good deed unto the Lord. So whenever you do good and you, you know, you give your life or you risk your life for the sake of someone else, God says that, yes, you may pass, but you shall receive your reward in paradise and your name will not rust. Your legacy will be honorable, but the coward's name shall rot. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. God is saying that a good name is more honorable than any precious jewels or ornaments or uh, oils. Referring to the, you know, the ancient days where that was wealthy, when you had ointment, precious ointments, oils, and, and things like that. Those were looked at as, as precious, as precious commodities. And the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. 
So God here looks at death as a gift more so than birth. You see how man turns it around and, and we celebrate your birth. We have your birthday. No one celebrates the death day. The death is when you, we, you know, God's saying that we shouldn't be, we, we will mourn, but death should be celebrated because that person has passed on and is with the Lord, hopefully, hopefully. But most times people assume that when a person goes to the grave that they immediately are in heaven. This is not the way that it works. But we know that if a person was walking with the Lord before they passed, this is a celebration because we celebrate that person's time on earth and all the good things that that person did. But not so with a wicked person. The wicked person is cursed. The wicked person has bad things spoken of him or her. And their name rots and their name is washed out. But the name of a good person or a righteous man or a man of the Lord, his name shall reign and his name shall have a legacy. Then we'll go to um, Isaiah 57, verse 1 and 2. The righteous perish and no man lays it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. So, you see, we look at death as, see, first of all, death to us, and I'm sure to, to the Lord, death is evil. First of all, death is evil. So God makes evil good with death because Death is evil. Death came upon man from disobedience in the garden. So death upon a, a person is evil because it means that that person has passed before his time. And Satan uses this as victory. He thinks that this is a win-win. But God looks at this as a welcome home greeting a greeting of, of, of billions of angels, a, a, a greeting to the kingdom of heaven. This is how God looks at it. Satan looks at it as, yeah, yeah, I got rid of him. I got rid of him. But Satan lost, especially if that person knows God. He lost because the person that went on to be with the Lord is an eternal bliss but Satan thinks he won because the person passed and he brought grief and pain and, and heart-stricken to his family and his friends and his peers. But no, don't look at it that way. Look at it as whoever, if he knew the Lord, he's with the Lord. And this is a blessing and it should be celebrated. That's, that's turning evil to good. So this is why it's really important to know who the Lord Yeshua is and, and, and not to go off of what this, your Sunday school teacher taught you or what your pastor told you or some corny, flaky church concert or some convention, you know, just out for the, the money, out for monetary gain, you know, with, with these Kreft um, uh, Dollar and all these, um, uh, what's his name, uh, you know what? It doesn't even matter. I'm not even going to waste my breath in even naming these snakes. But we know who they are. We know who they are. They, they're evil, deceitful workers of Satan uh, portraying the name of the Lord for monetary gain. Okay? So, so the name of Yeshua has nothing to do with these people. You know, when they sit up and, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. You keep your Jesus, and I'll keep my Jesus, Yeshua. There's two different Jesuses, and we're going to touch on that topic on another episode. See, I'm going to come at you guys with so much information. I hope it's not going to be an overload, but 
I just, this is information that has to be released. It has to be released. It's like a, a overflowing uh, uh, dam that's about to bust. The levee's about to bust. So instead of, of the levee's busting, why don't I just have a system, a cistern, where the water flows through freely? So we can plainly see through the scriptures that um, death is evil. But as I said, he turns it to good. And once you know that you are one of his, you see this as victory. And as I said, God sees it as a welcome home. Knowing the Lord means a one-on-one -on -one with him, you and him, that's it. And then once you're mature in his word and apply it to your life, you'll start to see things start shaking and moving in your life. Then you start to bear fruit by sharing the knowledge that you have gained. It's not to remain stagnant on your brain. Then you start to see in the dark. As I said before, you have night vision. And then you'll want to share and shine your light, your lantern, to help everyone else that's in the dark. Having the knowledge of God and not sharing it with others, it's like the Titanic. You're the, you're the captain of the Titanic and, you know, you're just sailing through. You got this big old boat with all types of life rafts and, and water and bare necessities for more than tons of people. But it's just you yourself sailing through. And you're sailing on by. Then you come to these dark waters. And all you hear is you hear people screaming, people drowning, people in anguish, people getting eaten by sharks and perishing at a rapid rate. And all you do is you just sail on by in your heated vessel as the sounds of horror fade off into the background. Leaves you unfazed. That's the equivalent of having the wisdom of God and the knowledge of the, of the gospel and you remain quiet and you let it go stagnant on your heart and in your brain. It becomes unfruitful and it rots and it withers. It's like you're a, a lit jack-o'-lantern with no eyes or mouth, just the top cut out. And then you put the top back on. What do you think's gonna happen to that light? And what do you think's gonna happen to the inside of that pumpkin? The light's gonna burn out and the inside of the pumpkin's gonna rot and stink and be a bloody mess, like the Brits would say. So now I'm about to go there and be bold by saying that this plague and Trump and now Biden has all been the Lord's plan. While Satan thinks he's so slick, he thinks he's getting, he thinks he's the one getting over, but he's the one getting finessed in the long run. The reason why I mentioned the plague, because Satan used the plague for fear, power, and control. But God uses this time to reflect on your ultimate decision. We will all have to make a decision at one point in time. But he uses this time as an eye-opener to look around and see the world for what it truly is. He wants to show us who our rulers truly are and what their best interests are and ensuring us. We see who really cares for you and who doesn't, who's there for you and who's not. He uses this as a precursor to the demonic ruled future of the Antichrist, the pseudo-Messiah kingdom, where if you're used to falling in line and used to accepting everything without a second thought, then you will be ushered in to the one world order, ran by Satan himself in the flesh as a man. I know y'all think I'm crazy, huh? Y'all like, where this dude get this stuff from? Nah, I'm not crazy. Ain't nothing crazy about me. I'm crazy for the Lord, and I'm crazy for truth. But in Matthew 24, verse 24, he's going to explain to you what I'm talking about. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. The Lord is saying, I've told you. 
told you time and time again that there will come a time where there will be false Christ claiming that they're the Messiah and false prophets who claim that they are the workers and the laborers of the Messiah. This is pure evil. And we see this now. This is the time. And, and the way the masses is between Lion Biden and uh, uh, Kabbalah Harris, they're, they're making, they're, they're putting the red carpet for the Antichrist to, us, to be ushered in. And the citizens are welcoming him with open arms by falling in line with all these lies and deceit. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day should not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who oppose and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember that when I was with you, I told you these things. Mm. Time and time again, God gives us warnings of these things, warnings of the Antichrist, warning of the pseudo-Messiah, warning of the false signs and wonders. But we see the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are the, the aliens, the, the, the artificial intelligence, and the cyber reality. And also the um, cloning and um, holograms. These are the things that are going to lead away those who claim to be saints the saints and the elect. This is what the Lord is, is referring to as being deceived. These things will deceive the elect, will deceive those who know. But I must uh, explain that Matthew 24 is set in uh, the future, which is after the Lord has came for his saints. And this is the time in which is called the Great Tribulation, where the Lord has already raptured his saints and those who remain on the earth shall be in the Great Tribulation. And if you endure through the, the, the hell that the Lord says that you will still receive salvation, but it's a price to pay, a very, very heavy price to pay. So we already spoke on uh, Trump's purpose. Now as we get closer to the man of sin, the son of perdition, the state of eternal punishment and damnation into which all sinful and unrepentant people shall pass after death. Seems like we have been given over to the enemy once again. Like in the ancient days of the wilderness, the Hebrews were given into the hands of their enemies for disbelief, idolatry, and adapting to the wicked lifestyle and the cultures of the natives. With Creepy Joe, we can expect to be forced into a utopian, totalitarian, communist-style society where all American trade will be a thing of the past, where this country will start to resemble the movies and resemble uh, the old-time communist uh, Germany and, and, and all the old European communist countries. But it, it, it's really going to resemble the, the, uh, those utopian movies like Hunger Games and Fifth Wave, where there's no more democracy. Not that, ever, not that there ever was any before, but we'll see stricter rules regarding COVID. Economic disasters, unemployment will be commonplace among the lower class citizens, formerly the middle class, while the rich and the elite get fatter and fatter, while the nation gets like Stephen King's movie, thinner. Kabbalah Harris 
will eventually reign as the first woman of color to hold office while she will unleash a fury of hell on conservative born-again believers and true laborers of God. We will be punished at the highest form as an example not to defy the power of evil. This time evil will prevail, but for a season. Because we chose our fate. We rejected Trump, remember? Although Trump was a vile man, he stood for morality, to say the least. Now, the bottomless pit is slowly starting to open, and the smell of deception is in the air. Join me on the post as we look out and return to the camp with our findings. This message is this. From the surface, we see evil winning and evil evildoers winning. And it seems as though Satan is, is having his way. But we must remember that the creator of good and evil is always in control at all times. So no matter how it seems, no matter how rough and how rocky it seems with this world just crumbling before our eyes, God will turn it to good because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I hold him to this word. Do you? This is the conclusion of when God turns evil to good. I thank you as always. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your patience. And I hope that you'll continue to join me on the next episode. As always, God bless you and your families. Take care of yourself and stay prayed up.